Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as someone who spent all of the 90s in shoulder pads, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is David Friend, the editor of creative development at Vanity Fair. He's also the author of a new book called The Naughty 90s, The Triumph of the American Libido. Oh, I had to have him on the show for that. Um, it's about the culture wars of the 1990s and the sexual history of the Clinton years. And we're going to talk also about the Internet because was, that's when the Internet was invented. Um, yeah. David, wide, welcome, wide. welcome to Recode Decode. I'm going to do a quick disclaimer. I've written for Vanity Fair. I, I'm not currently writing for Well, I could, but I, I don't have time. But um, but they, uh, I write for them, just so you know. But I'm not going to be any nicer to you because of that. Um, <laughs> so why don't we go over you, – you've been working for Vanity Fair for a long time, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I was working at Life magazine. I started mm-hmm. – I was the director of photography, started – the website mm-hmm. and uh, the new life magazine. The new life magazine from right. I started in 1978. And Graydon right. Carter who, uh, was there as a young writer mm-hmm. when I was a young uh, uh, reporter running around the right. world with photographers, and we got to know each other. And he kept trying to get me to come to Vanity Fair, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look, Graydon, this is after he took over." Yeah, for Tina, right? yeah. And, he, and I he said, "Look, I can't. I'm having a great time." He said, "David, nobody reads life anymore. You know why? <laughs> come on, you work with me." You're irrelevant. He eventually that always works on me. you, New York media types. You're irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he, no, I remember him pitching me in '92, saying, "You know, we, I was with." Or 93, I was with uh, Princess Diana at a party last week. You're going to go to parties. You're going to oh, be doing God, this and that. Diana. He's, he's, he's wow. throw me, told me some great reasons to come over there. Right. We're going to have a great time. It's a, like a club, right. which is what he was saying when he was starting Spy. And, yeah. And like, you know, oh, that, was like a great, a club. that was my favorite. And, I, and I, I, was, I said, I can't. That was the I, 80s. Spy was the 80s. Spy was the 80s. Great magazine. Still funny. Uh, it still holds up, and Donald Trump was on many, oh, many of the covers. The and the captions uh, alone were so yes, And the phrases. Sassy and Spy were my favorite things from the 80s, I have to say. Oh, Sassy, sassy. sure. God, was that Jane, was short, short-lived. Jane, but, um, so talented editor. Not Jane Amsterdam. No, no, no Jane, she did. Yeah, she did My she Manhattan Inc. Uh, Manhattan yeah. which was also a great magazine. It was a great magazine in the 80s. Yeah. Jane Pratt. Jane Pratt. Jane Pratt. Yeah. Uh, but then Graydon just sort of came back to me and said, let's do it. And I said, no, I'm really a, a can't. I'm just starting at life. I'm just doing this job at life. Mm-hmm. I love it. I was there for 20 years as well. Mm-hmm. And then in 98, we just sort of said, let's do it. And I came over and I and he gave me this job. He said, look, look I want you to be the news editor. I mm-hmm. said, Graydon, I've been the news editor. I don't right. need to be the news editor again. <laughs> you know me as a news editor. I'd like to... And I invented a job. Mm-hmm. I said, I'd, yeah, I want to do the job? extra shit. That's right. the job. Can I say this on, yes, on Rico? Yes, no, you can say it. I, <laughs> I said, why don't I be the editor of the extra shit? Right. You okay. don't do books. You don't do television. You don't right. do the web. You don't let me do those and things. And Condé Nast has somebody. Does. They, they try to develop from magazines and stuff like that. They That's do that, but they didn't in 98 right, when I didn't. came aboard. Right. And so I made that transition, which is really like going from mainstream America, middle America, mm-hmm. uh Middle of the road white bread magazine right. to this cosmopolitan, sophisticated, sexy, uh, magazine. sexy magazine, and left magazine from the left, whereas Life, you might argue, was from the right, mm. and and I was making a transition that I think the culture was making in the nineties. So right. this is ninety eight. The first, so I accept the job. The first, <laughs> the first day I'm on the job, he takes me to. He calls me into his office and he says, "Let's see if we can get Monica Lewinsky." Ah, uh-huh. and I I said to him, yeah, let's uh, okay, because he knew I would used to used to get great exclusives mm-hmm. for life. That's one of the things right. I did, in, in, right. and I you know, and so I called Ginsburg. I forget his first name. The Gary lawyer. Ginsburg. Uh, no, oh no, Ginsburg. Oh, for, yeah. Oh, for Monica's oh, him. lawyer at the yeah, time him, was yeah. the In any case, within twenty two days, we had this exclusive with Herb Ritz photographing yeah. Monica. Years later, I became when I was put doing this book, I became quite close with Monica. She's a friend of mine mm-hmm. now, and she's and, and I edit her at the magazine. In fact, mm-hmm. she's really sort of terrific. And But from that, from that, that's how it all started out, was great and sort of... Get, pushing you, get, pushing get, you. And since then, you've been doing all kinds of things. Yeah, so things, I do... All kinds of... I do investigative pieces. I wrote mm-hmm. the Deep Throat story with... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
with about the about Mark Felt being the mm-hmm. Washington Post uh, secret the source. The movie's coming out, right? Uh, the movie has come out with mm-hmm. Liam Neeson yeah. as Mark Felt. It's terrific, in yeah. fact, and mm-hmm. it's a great double feature if someone wants to get the that and the, and the Post movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, so. But I ended up doing a lot of other things with with Gray and doing things that were visually driven, doing a lot of the editing of of portfolios that we do, but also doing uh, everything from we've done 11 books together. We do. I started the website. We've done a lot of different things. Right. They did a whole bunch of books. I mean, talk a little bit about that transition because, you know, when when he started at Vanity Fair and you started, it was the magazines were the center. And I just interviewed Tina Brown about her, which is a terrific book also. Fun book. Every page Every page. It's really good. Um, But one of the things was she sort of operated in the magazine's hegemony era, Mm -hmm. essentially, where it was the must thing. And then things shifted for you, like you all. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you all conceived of a magazine as the internet moved in? I mean, I know you started uh, The Hive and you guys started all the other things, but, you know, you've been a magazine-focused business. Yes. So I think what happened was that that the company itself began to understand, Condé Nast began to understand if you're just thinking of magazines, it's it, you know you're, you're heading off the Lemmings Cliff. Right. So he ended up Graydon smartly his first year. He had gone previously, I think, while he was at Spy or maybe it was the New York Observer to Swifty Lazar's party, mm-hmm. and said, you know, let's inherit that. Let's take over right. uh, the Oscar party, post party, right. which he did in his second, maybe by '95. Yeah, uh, in '94. And in not, he, similarly, he had a lunch with um, David Halberstam, mm-hmm. and they said, "You know what? Journalist? You know what's going on? Yeah, yeah, Dave, w- w- one of the greats." And they 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 basically talked about there's a new idea that it's not just media, and it's not just what's going on up in Silicon Valley, which is new, and it's not just what's going on in Wall Street. It's not what's going on in Wall Street. There's a thing called a new establishment. Mm-hmm. And they came up with this notion of the new establishment, and Graydon made that another tentpole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been at the Vanity mm-hmm. Fair Summit, which is really all tied in with the new establishment. So Graydon started those two new tentpoles, and they became events, and they became ways of looking at the culture in a very exciting Way that right. was vital, but also that extended the brand into new things. Right. Ninety five, four, I think it was. A uh, two thousand four. Graydon, uh, uh, I, I started the website. We mm-hmm. realized we had to do that. It was mm-hmm. so dumb. It was yeah, like, a little late there. Too. It, uh, that's the company wasn't right. doing it. Yeah, Cy right. did not yeah. want to move into into the into digital realm. Mm-hmm. Really. Uh, and, and distract late, yeah. from the from the yeah. from the magazines. So. Yeah, we were late, but it was we you know what we just great and I. I remember bringing over to his house one day when we were going when we were doing the design. It was a the main homepage mm-hmm. were people sitting around a table. We said this was yeah. a conversation. It was drawings by Tim Schafer of mm. Dominic Dunn. If you clicked on Dominic Dunn, you'd get his piece that week. If right. you clicked on Annie Leibovitz, oh, get, clever it was so. <laughs> so static. We immediately said, "No, this is this isn't going to work." It became it was pretty exciting, and we we and I. But I realized, as I did with all the things that I started doing at the magazine, was you needed. I needed to begin them and then turn them over to a younger, smarter person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because what right. I would eat my life up the hours on these right, things, right. and then we just move on to the next. And we did we did some television together and some other things. So. Um, he, but but that, this was Graydon's concept, and I think Radika's thinking this way too. Is this, this whole is the new notion? Jones. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Radika Jones, who's who's come aboard as of uh, the December 19th, and she's just you know go, going great guns and so and a different era it. now for magazines. I mean, there's obviously pullback at Condé Nast and other magazine mm-hmm. companies uh, from the sort of the glory days. Do you what do you, what do you envision that being now? Not just Vanity Fair itself, but the concept. I of don't those know magazines. if a, you know a magazine isn't is a, is really you know I hate the phrase brand, mm-hmm. but that's really it, it's what is the um, uh, the the DN, the magazine DNA remains, mm-hmm. but it's become something new. It's become this multi pronged entity that people, especially with legacy brands, think of as and luxury brands think of across many different platforms, and that's what we have to do. So we're thinking in many different ways of whether it be television, whether it be a lot of the articles that we do that we have potential rights for or not, mm-hmm. depending on the, the writer. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're doing some things like that where some of the writers that we're using, are, you know, their pieces are being made into films. Mm-hmm. And we're coupling with others to do, um, you know, investigative pieces from time to time, whether mm-hmm. it be ProPublica or whomever. 
So, uh, you know, we've, we've got stuff. We, we do things with CBS with uh, in 60 Minutes yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. So it, the Hive is really, you know, very exciting. We're expanding. That's your up. online site. The Hive is, you know, people, learning people get that as a newsletter. Maybe people go to that each day or it's pushed to them as a, uh, with, with, you know, covering power, covering mm-hmm. so everything from Silicon Valley to, to the, uh, to, to New York, to Washington and, and beyond. So it's very, you know, these are exciting times, but they're also, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the funding at different places is, you know, yeah, some of it goes changed. to digital. And well, it's, not the same, it's not the only game. I mean, for a while, I mm-hmm. Fair was the game for that particular kind of journalism or New Yorker had its kind of thing going on. Also a Condé Nast property. But people uh, still look at us and say, you, no one's putting together the long form stories and the short funny stories right. and, and the beautiful photography and the illustration in a way that we are with the sensibility of a curator right. like Graydon and now like Radhika Jones. So how long does that last? Because, you know, people have a different, uh, we're going to get your book in a second to talk about the nights where it all started. That's why I want to sort of set it up. Okay. Is, what What is the, where does it go? Where, where do you envision? I mean, you were at Life, which was the iconic magazine that kind of got killed over time, like the original, original Life. It would be a great time for Life now. It's a visual world <laughs> yeah, right I know, now. It's right? a perfect time. But yeah. timing can't, can't uh, you know, it trips over its feet all the time. Yeah. You can't not figure it out. It's uh, the, it isn't Time Inc. I think their no, the name is going to, what is it going to be called now? I don't Coke know. Coke Inc. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I don't agree with, I believe it was Kurt Anderson, mm-hmm. but he's very sage on some of these topics. And, and he was another rec- original founder of Spy. Another original founder of Spy. And, yeah. and, and he ended up, in, and a writer for Vanity Fair, he said in a piece in the New York Times, I believe it was Kurt, that it, you know we've, we've reached the 100-year mark for magazines, mm-hmm. that they really, the heyday of magazines were the 1920s and now we're in the 20, to about to go into the 2020s and mm-hmm. you really had in the 20s this great, the great thing, Vanity Fair and Time yeah, Magazine sure. started and The New Yorker started and Esquire started and Fortune started, started in the 30s. But but maybe we've seen some of the best days of this medium and mm-hmm. maybe and it'll become something else. But it, there's still a lot of kick in the, in, the, in this in this gal or in, whatever everyone is, <laughs> everyone is saying, which, yeah. which is, uh, you know, well, what was interesting about pro- reading, improper. you know, your book and also Tina's book is that uh, there was st- still rampant insecurity even at the height. Like there was never a moment to enjoy it. It was really, I was like, she's how, how do you feel? Do you do you sense that too? Yeah. Oh, I, I I've left your area long ago. No, but I mean, in terms of if you're succeeding at this level, there's yeah. always the tension. No, I never. Of, no. No, in our world, there, there no. is. There's always. So I don't live in New York in the media world. I just don't care to listen to you all gripe about things. You know? love it. I <laughs> no. love it. Maybe you're right. No, I, I just. I, I, I feel know, that I when I'm here. I might have been infected by Silicon Valley. It's just I just move on to the next thing. I don't. It doesn't. Good. That's very me. healthy of you. Yeah, Kara. Yeah. I, I want to. <laughs> don't compliment me. Li- li- um, no, that's so right. The no, reason I wanted to get to it because <laughs> I wanted to talk about your book. So talk talk about the conception of your book, and then in the next section we'll talk about the specifics. Yeah, the conception of the book was crazy. Well, what was I doing in the nineties? I had. Uh, kids I was raising, a boy and a girl, the, my mm-hmm. daughter was doing uh, sit-ups every day to get washboard abs because she mm-hmm. wanted to look like Britney Spears. Oh, yeah, 10. that. Mm-hmm. My son was playing these massive multiplayer games at night Yeah. Uh, on the internet with strange men. Who knew what, what was going on, you know? <laughs> And my wife and I said, what is this We're guy? getting right into libido, aren't we? What is this guy doing? What is our son doing? And it turns out, you know, we took it. We, I stole one night. I went in his room and stole his joystick, which is very Freudian. <laughs> and and he took up guitar right, and now he's a jazz guitarist okay, in, in right. New Orleans. So, it turned out, okay. so I said, well, what's going on with the sexualized culture we're living right, in the 90s right. and where these kids so were raising? Madonna. like it's, it's Everything from yeah, 80s. But Madonna, every woman I interviewed, many of the women I interviewed for this book, I said, is there one person that Madonna. comes back back to your, as an icon for you? And yeah. Madonna really was, was key and important. Yes, Hillary Clinton. Yes, I'd, I'd list a number of icons during the, Ellen DeGeneres and mm-hmm. uh, Demi Moore and others who really uh, were Annie Leibovitz and others we, we, who were so important. But but uh, Anita Hill we can get to. But I, I really feel that uh, what what's kicked off this book was I had dinner in mm-hmm. 2007 mm-hmm. or 8 with a cardiologist friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, David, you know, let me tell you the backstory of Viagra. I oh. said, what do you mean? All right. He goes, well, a lot of the patients in these trials, it was for a heart drug. Mm-hmm. It was for hypertension. But right. a lot of the patients had this little side effect. Mm-hmm. And they were hoarding the pills. And the wives, when we were getting, were complaining, or the, or the partners mm-hmm. were complaining, mm-hmm. when 
they, we took them off the pills. And I said, boy, that's a, if I can get the backstory mm-hmm. of how that the chemists and the marketing people, the, the real story behind Viagra, and there's two chapters devoted to it where this, mm-hmm. you know, this, how this all happened. And I can do this for other great, mm-hmm. crazy stories in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Then I've got a book in this, and I ended up, and I'll have a fun book in this, and it really was sure. a fun thing to do over right. the course of the night because I have a real job. It took me six years to do it. Mm-hmm. So, But I, um, uh, you know, I'd interviewed the, the sisters that invented the Brazilian bikini wax. Oh, the Brazilian bikini wax. That and was I new. found patient zero, the first <laughs> woman in America to have a Brazilian bikini wax in 1990, January 1990. David, you're a hard-hitting reporter. <laughs> had, you know, I really left no stone unturned. Yeah. Um, or, and I interviewed people like Anita Hill, people like uh What about Chan, the 90s, what like, captured you? Do you think it was, I mean, uh, you yes. know, a lot of people focus on the 80s, actually, and that was really the Clinton year. That was, you know, the, 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 this was the end of the Clinton years and the beginning of the Bush years and, the, and sort of bad things. You know, I mean, 80s yes. were sort of very it, go-go. The 80s were go-go. Every, people had written about the 80s. Yes, they had. I had, That's I had not, no one had written about the 90s. Maybe Joseph Stiglitz had right. done The Roaring 90s, a book on the economy in the right. 90s. Right, But it still seemed yeah, f- no, but, fodder to explore. Yeah. And it also was the period that I believe that, you know, you think of the 60s and you say, that's the naughty decade. That's mm-hmm. the decade of... You know, right. hate Ashbury and free love and and uh, the pill and the Playboy philosophy or whatever and, and all the all the thing you love the one you're with, but really uh, what happened was I believed and this was the, one of the main theses of the book is that the boomers took over they they started raising children they started coming of age they started becoming the powerful people that ran Hollywood mm-hmm. that ran. Um, Madison Avenue, and for the first time, ran the White House. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you had the counterculture becoming the culture. You had their values becoming the main right. values of America, which it took 25 years. It took the coming of age of those boomers mm-hmm. to then change society. And so I saw this drift and this shift in and the saw 90s. the culture wars in the 90s. It began under Reagan, you're right, in the 80s, and Bush won in, mm-hmm. in the 80s into the 90s. But really... Um, you know, the the morning after Clinton was was inaugurated, it was um, the, January. Peggy Noonan, in January uh, of 1993. Peggy mm-hmm. Noonan's writing. You know, the trumpets have sounded, and the, and and you know, get ready for a big fall because you guys mm-hmm. are you're terrific. Everyone loves you, but it's not. You know, it's time for a change. Yeah, it's still resonating today. All right, we're here with David Friend. He has a new book out about the 90s called The Naughty 90s, The Triumph of the American Libido. Were the last 90s, the 1890s, naughty too? Yeah, they were naughty too, the naughty. gay 90s. These are all this, this fi- how, how do you pronounce century. it, fin de cicle? Yeah, yeah, fin de cicle. Fin de cicle. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's about the culture wars of the 1990s and sexual history of the Clinton years. We're going to talk about that and more, and it's also the time when the internet was invented and became popular throughout the 90s and really... Really, really did share. Of all the things of the 90s, I'm going to go with the internet as the most important. And we're going to talk about that and more with David Friend. Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe, the fastest growing home security company in the nation. They now protect more than 2 million people. Here's some exciting news Simply Safe has just released a brand new home security system. This system has been completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages, downed Wi-Fi, cut lines, bats, hammers, and everything in between. The all-new Simply Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible with powerful sensors so small you'll hardly notice them. But you know who'll notice them? Intruders. Simply Safe spent years building this system. They added so much, but you still get the same fair and honest price. 24/7 protection for only $15 a month, and there's no contract. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they built before. But supply is very limited. Visit simplysafe.com slash decode now to order. That's S-I-M-P-L-I. And then the word safe.com slash decode to protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash decode. This year, I'm launching a new live event series with MSNBC and NBC News. 
The series will feature town hall style conversations examining the impact of technology on the many aspects of the world today, including business, politics, science, health, climate, culture, education, and more. We'll have one-on-one interviews and other discussions with a range of thought leaders from corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and venture capitalists to journalists, government officials, and academics. These will air as specials on MSNBC with additional coverage and videos available on msnbc.com and nbcnews.com, as well as on Recode and The Verge. You can attend the first event live in San Francisco, California on January 19th at noon Pacific time. I'll be talking to Google CEO Sundar Pichai and YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. For more information about how you can attend, just visit recode.net slash work. This special will air on MSNBC that night, January 19th at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. So just one more time to learn about how you can attend the taping in San Francisco live, visit recode.net slash work. We're here on Recode Decode with David Friend. He's an editor at Vanity Fair, but he's talking about his new book called The Naughty 90s, The Triumph of the American Libido. Um, We were just talking, it's also the triumph of the internet. That's when I started covering the internet, the early 90s, the beginning of AOL, the the commercialization of the internet, when Al Gore actually did invent the internet by creating critical legislation to take it uh, into the public realm. Um, let's start, start with that because I think the internet's invention really changed everything. I mean, we're going to talk about the, all the it different things. It changed characters. everything for a lot of different reasons. Uh, my book is two chapters about the sexual history of the World Wide Web. Oh, that was a critical part, especially And gay. so here we go. You know, what happened, young people, for instance, the entire sexual smorgasbord became available before really they were mature enough to understand it. It changed mm-hmm. human... Uh, interaction in ways that we had never seen before. And still don't understand. And still don't understand. And adults don't understand it half the time. We, how, how do we have all this variety and how do we have all this uh, abundance in a to, in a, in an area where really scarcity used to be the appeal yeah. of, of sexuality well, porn and was, porn. porn was one of the most critical. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really interesting because when I started covering the internet in the very early days, the porn people were the most creative and innovative people in terms of delivery. Uh, well, that's, all yeah. kinds of companies were, were there. And it, it was either through message boards and people talking to each other or it was delivery of the way they were the first people to do subscriptions, I remember. I, I remember. No, you're, that's interested. absolutely right. You know, William Burroughs, another San Francisco sage like <laughs> yourself, um, is you said that uh, apropos of porn, but really you said that sex is the virus that's always searching for a new host. Mm -hmm. And I look at the internet, I look at all new technologies almost Mm -hmm. as infants. They're new platforms. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, what happens in the 1450s when Mm -hmm. you got the Gutenberg Bible, the next thing that comes off the line are erotic, is erotic prose. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, The, the Daguerre invites, invents the, uh, you know, the camera. And pretty soon you can go into a Paris shop and in the back under the counter, they'll sell you dirty pictures. Mm -hmm. This is really what happens in new technology. And a lot of the innovation that came uh, and a lot of the platforms we used were sexual in nature. For example, I, I I interviewed Jane um, Metcalf, who Mm -hmm. invented, uh, who co-founded Wired with Louis. And it was really, um, she spent some time talking about um, the moos and muds, these weird areas that people very early in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the, in 1991, 92, where people were sort of fantasy, living in these fantasy worlds yep. and creating these new personas that then metastasize in the real world as Burning Man. Right. You know, but people were experimenting sexually on these boards and it was, it was really extremely popular. Um, I interviewed Michael Wolf, who's in the news every yes, day, we'll we, and he spent some time. I interviewed him about. I said, "Give me the set on a, the back of the napkin TikTok of why sex was the killer app that drove the internet when mm-hmm. it first began." He said, "Well, there." He had, let's be clear. He had a, people may not know this about Michael, but he had an internet company that failed. That he wrote a fantastic book about that was very yeah, funny, very good burn rate. Burn yeah, rate. and he he said, "All right, here's why." Uh, two things that he saw right at the beginning. Uh, of uh, was that people were communicating on platforms like you, you, it was very difficult to get into the internet uh, the, the pre browser yeah it was um, called online services online services right, so you sort of. had well and yeah. you, but but you also had, you had well. these clubby these clubby areas like mm-hmm. echo and well and yeah. and these were 
the Mindvox. You had these areas where people were communicating with, but you had to be in, the, in academia or you had to be in the military or you had to be in, in a, you, you had to know code, you had to sort of understand it to get into it. And they were really wonderful ways to connect, but a lot of it became sexual talk. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it... Well, AOL them, was the font of that. And then there were these closed systems like AOL. And mm-hmm. Michael was talking about this. Is you, you had Prodigy, you had CompuServe. Which were not like that. Were not like that. AOL was this place where they did not... Censor. They didn't censor. It was interesting because I had a chapter in my book about AOL that came out in the 90s um, talking, I think it was called The House That Sex Chat Built. Yes, that's because right. that's yeah. what really was behind their very, a lot of a lot of sites were like that. They relied on that. But AOL really did remove barriers. Pro- Prodigy was highly curated and highly controlled in the way old magazines were, old media. They sort of mm-hmm. mimicked uh, mimicked the, the same thing as gatekeepers, really. And AOL removed the gates, essentially, and said anything goes. And I think that was really, it really, I can't underscore how much sex was such an important part of the early internet. And it still is, obviously, but other things have moved to the fore at the same time. It was also that that porn and sex and these conversations were always... um, Sort of one on you. You were with another person. You were you. Now it was totally anonymous, mm-hmm. and it was intimate in a way that people did not know what you were doing. So there was the embarrassment right. you didn't have and to shame. Into an icky store. Yeah, and, the and, shame and left sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we were saying it's true. This is true for the LGBT community. Oh, a hundred percent. Planet Out was the AOL investment, um, and it was uh, it was really fascinating how quickly people in good ways that people were isolated and like say you were in the midwest or they had i remember they had 20 members from vatican city which you know I, i'm surprised it wasn't higher um but it was uh, it was really interesting to watch that to, to watch this and steve case talked a lot about that like in terms of leaving leaving people to do what they wanted to do and mm-hmm. and, and it, it it took a it, it sort of popped a cork on society in a lot of ways i think the internet did well i think yeah, i talked to stephen mays who's a friend of mine who uh, is in the photography world and he said as a as a gay man he spent a lot of time a lot of the, the use of the inter- internet was was sending pictures of yourself to others he felt very uncomfortable in gay bars mm-hmm. he felt very uncomfortable in social situations where he had to mm-hmm. impress others because he's not a wonderful sp- physical specimen in his own mind mm-hmm. uh, and yet uh, the, the, he felt liberated in this new way where you could mm-hmm. trade pictures where you could trade your your you could meet pe- meet people in different ways and he said it was sort of like that period in where Polaroids were used mm-hmm. to to document the male and, and attract the male gaze mm-hmm. in his world, and he basically felt that's what that that that, that you could not go to a store right. and have your pictures developed. Right. If you had a Polaroid, you didn't have to do that's that. That's right. That's a really fair point. It's, it's, it's illegal otherwise, uh, you know, because in many states up till the year two thousand, you right. it was illegal to have uh, to ha- have trade in pictures like this and uh you know sodomy was illegal right, right and so here here was a new way to connect with others in a, in a liberating yeah, absolutely. way absolutely let's talk more broadly about the 80s too so what started the beginning i think uh, you were mentioning anita hill that was a critical also a very it sounds crazy but an internet moment like it was we've always had these sort of big you know oj was another one there's mm-hmm. a whole there's a whole bunch of kind of things around that 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 became so viral. Well, no, Anita, uh, yeah, <laughs> but Anita Hill, so in 91, mm-hmm. before the World Wide Web, but was really, the entire nation stopped and I and, and watched the hearings. What happened was, and I've need, I interviewed Anita a couple times, she came to one of my book signings in Boston, she's just a terrific person, she's now involved with this mm-hmm. uh a new commission to look at sexual harassment in the entertainment field. Uh, they haven't. They don't know what they're doing yet, but they're be, they're beginning to mm-hmm. to make these inroads and in trying to cha- make systemic change that is really um, hopefully will be long lasting. Um, in 1991, she had been approached by the FBI and the Senate commi- committee mm-hmm. that was looking into allegations Thomas, allegations that George H. W. Bush's nominee. Uh, for the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas had uh, some experiences in the past where he was was exhibiting sexual misconduct with underlings, where mm-hmm. he was m- misbehaving. He's denied he denied all of them. She ended up uh, in 1980s when she was working for him at two separate jobs, 
uh, confiding in four, five, so or six EEOC, friends yeah. at the EEOC was her second job mm-hmm. with him. Yes, and she ended up, and and that ironically was the the the, the area in the country in the company in the in the government where you, yeah where 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 you would go, mm-hmm. go and make complaints. So she felt uncomfortable uh, being the only person who would come forward, and mm-hmm. yet. Over time, the, as they were doing their investigation, they said, look, you've got to do this if you, we have all this information. She finally felt comfortable saying, look, if I can do my own statement, I'll come and testify. She was a very um, devout Baptist, grew up in Oklahoma. You know, the sexes were separated within her mm-hmm. church. She went on to Yale. She went on to law school. She's a teacher of, of law at Brandeis now, very respected. Um but she had these experiences where her boss would come on to her, ask her on dates, just talk about her clothing, start having very crude sexual comments about pornographic films that he saw. She kept saying, "Stop this! This is I'm I'm really uncomfortable with this." Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he it became a real pattern with him. And as Jane Mayer and uh, Jill Abramson. Uh, found out in the, the, when researching their book that fo- followed this in 1992 or three, I think it was called Strange Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, he, in fact, had a pattern of, of, of some of this behavior and some of the other people who they interviewed others who were, did not testify. But she came and talked in front of the nation and a strange thing happened. She described these things in front of an all-white, all-male Senate committee yeah, so much has changed. But go ahead. <laughs> and the entire nation was riveted. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, the polls said six out of ten people believed him, not her. Yeah. Clarence Thomas came out and said, this is a high-tech lynching. Why are we doing this thing? No man or woman should be brought in front of the country with these sort of accusations. It really was weird in 1990. It seems odd today, mm-hmm. but in 1991, it was weird to hear... Uh, pubic cut, hairs yeah. discussed cuts, and right. and long dong silver and different things. We're going to get to more in the next second, but can you imagine it today, like with the with all the social media? Yes. No. Oh, it you, felt you, like social. It you, felt the first time everyone was going a little crazy, which was yes, interesting. Would you imagine a Twitter version of this? You know, I think we unfortunately are living that right now yeah. where people are waking up every morning to see which person is brought down and what the smarmy details yeah. of it are. Okay. So there is this, this it may have set but the stage for that too. imagine with Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. Just well, the, you would have a Me Too moment then. Yeah. Had you had the social media, you would have other people who are saying, wait a second, I'm stand with Anita. This happened to Me Too. I remember when XYZ happened. Yeah. And even though he denied it, he was, they needed this, Republican seat to be filled on the court. He's he's done, you know, terrible damage to this country since <laughs> then. I, I believe, and and what? But but well, he's incompetent. What happened though? It's really, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. he me doesn't talk half the time. What what happened? People, women were so enraged that there was a record number of uh, there were twenty eight senators and congressmen voted in the next year in what was then called the Anita Hill class. They mm-hmm. went and ran for office and changed the complexion for, uh, it's still, it, it is no longer the case, but mm-hmm. at the times changed the complexion of the legislative branch of the country. You had a two to threefold rise in complaints about sexual harassment uh, in the workplace in the year that followed, and it kept going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. I think the women who are complaining today and making these accusations are standing on the shoulders of Anita Hill, who right. really was a pioneer in this way. hundred percent. And uh, and and hopefully, you know, there'll be some more some change because of it. We're going to get to this in the next section, but then it just continued, you know, through the Bill Clinton years because that was a highly sexualized presidency. I don't know how else to put it. It really was. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of look I at mean, that I mean, there's always been skulking You're in the background of all these politics. You remember the guy who was frolicking and well, that's a congressman. There was always a sex scandal in Washington. There's but always, but, there was so, the, but this was one that became so public. You had right. on the front page of the New York Times because of tape recordings between Monica Lewinsky and um, Linda Tripp made public mm-hmm. private conversations that mm-hmm. were illegally taped in the state of Maryland mm-hmm. or wherever it was, just put out there on the internet. Um, it, you had for the first time on the, on the front page of the Times the word fuck. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think the phrase was something like, you know, that fucking guy or something, one of them said. Right. Now, 
all these years later, yeah. we have Donald Trump talking with Billy Bush in the front page story of the New York Times uses, has the president using, the the the, the, the candidate who mm -hmm. would become president using the word fuck and pussy on the mm -hmm. front page of the New York, or mm -hmm. in the New York Times. So this is how it's changed. Yes, we, we there was a, a phrase that um, that summed it up it, it was it was the opening paragraph of Philip Roth's book, The Human Stain, mm -hmm. which talked about the summer of 1998, in which the president's, you see, something like, it was the summer that the president's penis was on everyone's mind, yeah. and America was left to, try something like America was struggling with, with sexuality, as we mm -hmm. have always been struggling with sexuality. It became a sexual overlay to the culture. So we've talked about porn, we talked mm -hmm. about the internet, we talked about the mainstream, you know, there was really this mainstreamization of porn, MTV was going, you know, people, young people were watching it. But the entire culture was saturated in this. Yes, it was politicians ensnared in scandal, but also think about what was going on in your daytime. You'd woke up and in daytime television were these trash talk shows, Jerry right. Springer and Jenny Jones. These were shows <laughs> that began in the 80s, but in the 90s, it was you could not go through the day without yeah, seeing Yeah, reality people. television was the next version. And then in the evenings, you were watching, exactly, yeah. 1992 was the first reality television show. What was that? Which MTV's was oh, Real World. Oh, Real World. Mm -hmm. And it began sort of as a good experiment. You yeah. People were living in this apartment in New York and how are they interacting by the end of the decade by 99 it was really a it was lot like of network about sex came alive it was like the movie network <laughs> yes, came alive it was if you go it watch just that won't movie take it anymore if, is it does it hold up it doesn't just hold up they ha we have every one of those shows you have to go watch it you know Sybil the soothsayer um i mean honestly every single show she created the Faye Dunaway character created exists and uh, seems tame at this point yeah seems to really, seems tame yeah but this yeah. is the, this Crazy is the head of, screaming head of the curve. Howard Beale it's like Sean Hannity or whatever whoever yeah, whoever well, pick your pick your idiotic well that's comedy. speaking of Sean Hannity so what else did you have not only did you have tabloid television shows in addition to reality shows <laughs> tabloid television was at one point in 1996 there were 16 news magazines or tabloid TV shows. They were cheaper than mm -hmm. regular programming. So we had so many of them. They were all, you know, many of them were sleazy. Many of them were good journalism, but many of them were sleazy. And then you had this new thing in 96, Fox News. Mm -hmm. It was, in 97 was MSNBC. They were competing with CNN. Mm -hmm. CNN had started in 79, but it wasn't until the 90s that it really came of age. Right. And so here you had many hours to fill. And what it, what filled it really for Fox News was uh, a much more scandal than the other shows and much more. So you were, you had this diet mm -hmm. in in American life that was really, I mean, that, that was really sexually supercharged. Mm -hmm. and, a and a lot of it was fueled by the the... Clinton scandal. I don't mm -hmm. call it the Lewinsky scandal because it shouldn't be called the Lewinsky right. scandal. Right. Um, so you had a lot of that, and you had then the impeachment. So you ha you go from the Gulf War in '91 to this saga mm -hmm. that every day was, you know, uh, the Desert Storm. Mm -hmm. Then you go to the O.J. Simpson saga, which went on for 300, 400 days in a row, and mm -hmm. and, and some of those same players were then. Uh, on the on-air personalities were then there in the in the Clinton drama and the impeachment, and then you had the hanging chads of the 2000 election with Gore versus Gore yeah. versus Bush. It just became a series of ensemble cast shows that we were all watching, and it became entertainment, which continues to this day. Continues actually. to this way. And one right, of the we're going to talk I about the repercussions. Now, it's funny you use naughty because naughty is sort of a happy word, but. Sounds toxic to me. <laughs> yeah, I use the word triumph too, and I mean, I mean yeah. it ir ironically. Well, you're to sell a book. Uh, yeah, but I also mean it ironically. So it's not yeah. really. Uh, yeah, it's naughty. It's, it's really. Ne it, it, it's much more negative in the last four months. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about that and the repercussions of the '90s because you know you just named like ten things. I'm, I'm having a like a, a PTSD right now. I forgot a couple of them, um, but <laughs> we're going to talk about the repercussions now because they really have it. All of them, from the internet to the Clintons to the to reality shows, to Fox News. Um, we're here with David Friend, the editor of Creative Development at Vanity Fair. He's also the author of a new book called The Naughty 90s, The Triumph of the American Libido. It's about the culture wars of the 1990s and the sexual history of the Clinton years. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about how those 90s impacted today. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Bottle Coffee. 
This time of year, the mantra is out with the old and in with the new. So it's a perfect time to upgrade your coffee routine. Blue Bottle Coffee delivers the most delicious coffee in the world right to your door. Your Blue Bottle Coffee is roasted and shipped to your home within 48 hours of placing your order so the beans arrive at peak freshness. There's coffee and then there's Blue Bottle. They search the planet far and wide to secure exclusive relationships with independent growers all over the world. And if you don't know what flavor you want to order, no worries. Take Blue Bottle's Coffee Match Quiz to find out the perfect coffee just for you. Hurry to bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode for $10 off your first coffee subscription order. That's bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode. Remember, out with the old, in with the new. It's time to try the most delicious coffee in the world. So go to bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Oh, is it time to leave Vegas yet? Uh, she's still there. You can stay there, Lauren, if you want. Every Friday, we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, why are you in Vegas this week? And so who do we talk to? I'm in Vegas for the annual CES. It's just a gadget fest. It's super fun and it's super exhausting. And so this week for the show, we talked with Ashley Carmen, my colleague from The Verge and also host of Why'd You Push That Button? And Ashley and I, button, <laughs> Ashley and I did uh, a live show together about all with Neil I and Dieter about all the cool stuff that's been going on. Ashley, what did we talk about on the podcast this week? We answer all your questions about tech overtaking our lives, virtual assistants, power outages, floods, basically how Las Vegas turned into a swamp from hell. It's a, you should listen. It's great. Locusts. And we also we also talked about lack of women on stage. Uh, yes. And stuff like that, too. We did. We yeah, talked absolutely. about uh, Spectre and Meltdown, uh, which has been concurrent with the CES. Uh, yes. We talked about the lack of representation. It was a really good show. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was a great discussion. We hope you go listen to it. You'll find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with David Friend. He's the author of a new book called The Naughty 90s. And one of the things we just talked about is how much of this stuff that we're dealing with and coping with today started then, really did, in a lot of ways. And the sexualized culture, the the boom in the internet, the widespread virality of news um, and how things, uh, the, the political, the toxic political culture, the rise of the religious right was also during that time, um, or slightly before, but in that in that time period. Um, obviously, uh, Anita Hill, um, what, what am I missing? There's so, so it's a lot happening. Well, you're talking about the cultural wars, but in, in many ways... The, it started with the Reagan administration. Sorry, it, it, it did. It started really um, in that period, more majority in the, late 70, mm-hmm. in the late 70s, you had Reagan riding the, that wave into mm-hmm. office. And what you really had was, were 12 years where people got really tired of this mm-hmm. and there was a, re- a reaction to it and this right. is why we got Bill Clinton right. and we almost got Gore. I believe we, we, we should have gotten Gore. There's some mm-hmm. craziness that was going on in Florida. Um, what happened was, I think, a moral shift. While Bill Clinton was espoused a sort of moral relativism, everybody should not be judged the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, even though he was a man of faith and had a Baptist background, he was a man who was also unfaithful. Mm-hmm. And his morality was sort of um, amorphous. Mm-hmm. And you had, on the other side, a strict, stringent idea of what morality was, I, epitomized by the 1992 Republican Convention, in which Pat Buchanan said, we're yeah. fighting a cultural I war. I remember, I was in Germany and I was shocked by it. Shocked? Yeah. I think who was it? Molly Ivan said it read better in the original German, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was that. really scary. Yeah. But neither side was attractive. Right. You had this sort of sense that there were, that we were morally adrift, and I think this happened in the movies in the nineties. <laughs> Give me some Pulp examples. Fiction. Right. Um, you, you, I, I talked to Woody Allen about this. I interviewed Woody for the book, and and he he we we didn't talk. He refused to talk about his own problems in the nineties mm-hmm. uh, with with his own uh, marital life. But That's he a shock. But he talked a lot about it in in, in the nineties to Time Magazine. Mm-hmm. So I got. But he was a, and and to to Newsweek and and sixty Minutes. But he wouldn't go there. But what he did say, I said, you know, I think everything changed in nineteen eighty nine with crimes and misdemeanors, mm-hmm. where a man arranges a, a killing. A, a killing. So Martin Lando arranges to kill. 
the character of uh, Angelica Houston and gets away with it scot-free. Yeah. And his that movie sticks with me, I have to say. I agree with you. I remember. I was just thinking of it the other I day. I just got the chills as you're saying. Yeah, I, I was feeling. thinking of it literally the other day. Yeah, and I think this was part of what we were then seeing. There were the Coen brothers. I was thinking Fargo. about killing someone, that's why. And I <laughs> Really? What I feel bad. I know Eric's been doing a good job here. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, would I feel bad? And then I remembered that movie. Possibly not. Anyway, so, not so this me. happened throughout that era. You had films that were morally uh, the, the good fellas. It led to. 1999, The Sopranos, with the hero the, was a killer. Yeah, and and you had a you had a mobster had to go to a shrink. Right, right. And what is that about? Right. And so I think you had this sort of moral lack of a moral center, and we weren't getting that from the government. We weren't getting that from our leaders. Mm-hmm. I went to. Um, it's interesting. So this sounds like a non sequitur, but I went to a, a wedding recently, uh, and the the mother of the bride said after at the in the, some of the remarks at the end. You know, I feel so uh, happy that both these kids who are getting married are have never cut a corner in their life. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened in the 90s and what's happened, and I thought immediately of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. who talked about not paying his taxes, and he, mm-hmm. he did that because, and he was smart, mm-hmm. he, he said, to do yeah. that. That we tried to game the system throughout that period and became, you know, the, the, the home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in 1998, where here are two heroes, do the big, the greatest home run race since 1961, and it turned out they were both on, you know, doctored on, you know, t- taking steroids, right, um, or some sort of enhancement. So, and you had, uh, you know, uh, um, Lance Armstrong who right. began his, you know, his his race to the finish line, and we know what he was on. Right, what, everyone was yeah. was gaming. was gaming thing, and especially. You know, in the bedroom. Viagra was a new, this was this new thing that allowed anyone to have sex Mm -hmm. who, you know, allowed people who were unable to. So for all the positive things, there was this sort of sense that we could fake everything that we, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot in the book about um, cosmetic surgery. I interviewed Joan Rivers about that at length. There's just sort of a... It would, well, she was having a tracheotomy thing. She yeah. was going in for for, uh, and and they had a, they well, tried to do both things at the same time. Right. No but the whole decade seemed to be about that, and I really do. We're living in so talk about the, the age of lies. Finish up. So what what had been the repercussions? Because there because the two thousands were really about innovation and technology and mm-hmm. the rise of Facebook and and uh, the iPhone. So many fantastic innovations. And again, we seem to be in another one of those periods and of, of something, something bad. Like, you know. Uh, well, you did have the breakdown. You did have the crash of the world economic crash in right. 2008, 2009. Right. And, and I 9/11 think it made, 9-11, it made people, uh, you know, uh, are, are, it, it, un, it un, unmoored the nation. And the crash of the, the internet at the beginning of the 2000s. Everything yes, just came yeah, apart. It bump, really was. Mm-hmm. And it did put a full stop and then 9-11. And mm-hmm. it just put a full stop to everything. I think. So what does it mean, make people want yeah. to do to make America great again? <laughs> they want to go back and they they have these bromides. Mm-hmm. They, want to, they want to put um, Band-Aids on the problem when in fact you need whole big systemic change. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're able to have a charlatan. We believe in the charlatan in the same way that people believed in you know, the, the, the tent show people who come by with, mm-hmm. with uh, elixirs. elixirs yeah. Yeah. And this is the this is and there could be no bigger liar. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the man that seventy one percent I think Politifact had seventy one percent at the end of the campaign, seventy one percent of of uh, Donald Trump's statements were false. Mm-hmm. You know, it was um, Mary McCarthy said of Lillian Hellman, every th- word out of her mouth is a lie, including and and the. <laughs> And this is what we have of this president. He's just... Uh, I'm going to give him the ands and thes, but okay. <laughs> so I think that's what, what we had. So Clinton, I mean, not that... Clinton, not, too. I don't, you know, it's That's why it started with, I think, yes, it started way back with Thomas right. Jefferson and, and Aaron Burr were right. saying lies about each other, and we right. went through Nixon yeah, and Johnson and all this. Yeah. But now, mm-hmm. we, ha- we had in the 2000s, an honest president. Mm-hmm. We had a fact-based presidency. Mm-hmm. It, it feels right now like 
this that was a paradise. So for which one is real? The real America. I mean, because the '90s, you know, there's so much that went on there that was so American, and and at the same time horrible. Um, and today, it feels like a restatement of that. You know, it in does. lots of ways, and including the sex stuff, because yes. now it's gotten even more. I mean, the the kind of people are worried about tech addiction and the use of tech and how people meet each other and dating, and you know, it's just it's just continued to morph into an even more. Um, a worse version of the 1990s. Yeah, I think it's an unhealthy one, too. And I think if there's any silver lining in all this, I would say it would be if men just stopped (laughs) and let women take over for a while. I've always thought that, David. And the other is if people would just get off social media for a while. Mm-hmm. People need to take a break. Mm-hmm. And, and because this is really what's good. You know, we're, we're falling, there was a great piece in The Atlantic recently about kids. And, in, and they were talk, we were talking about 2008, 2009. But um, the economic crash meant that kids had, after they graduated college, had to go live with their parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they, so, so you had many people who were not dating in a proper way. Right, right. And, and they're then having had the internet. Le- and, and then they had the internet. And so, and there was a 50% breakthrough in number of, uh, of, of kids having their phones there. They would wake up in the morning with the phone, fall asleep with the phone. We have, are now living a very unreal life uh, with our devices and, and are having a more, more distance from See. one another, even as we are having these wonderful right. so, creations. So talk about, just let's finish up and talk about sort of the, re, not, not the repercussions, but what are the, name from your perspective, the three critical, three or four critical things from the 90s, and then what you imagine, both good and bad. I think I'd like to, like, what are, what, are, what name, well, start with I, the good things. The, and then. I would say the good things are what Clinton, what the Clinton administration brought us mm-hmm. were, were a number of breakthroughs for um Workplace guidelines for domestic violence uh, issues. For on his watch, we had civil unions for the first time recognized. No, I'm not going to give the Clintons any. No, I, no, but that I'm just saying. Don't ask. The, don't you tell. asked about the 90s. Yeah, okay. But yeah, don't ask. Don't tell was terrible. I have a whole yeah. chapter on don't ask. Don't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a belief in women mm-hmm. that had not been espoused by a president. Or an administration prior to that, women, he, as uh, the problems that he had, he still did. Uh, and I talked to Dee Dee Myers at length about this. He did l- surround himself with very smart women and brought many more women into government and Oddly people enough, from so the LG- LGBT community. Oddly enough, so does Trump. He surrounds himself with with important women in his life, mm-hmm. but n- but the people right, who make the it. decisions right. are just no. all white male. It, it looks like a, a '90s cigar. Wolf bar. was writing about this a little bit, like how he feels that women serve him better, like they. Yes, no, that's true. Yeah, no, that's probably true. All right, so that. that's a, that, so that's a positive. The internet, as you mentioned, I think that changed how we do it. Uh, economics, communication, information, uh, even Both relating to relating to one another. Um, I would also say that the '90s were a were a period of self absorption that we are in now, mm-hmm. and this is a real negative. This is it, we we have this sort of sense of voyeurism, of exhibitionism. People weren't ever like that before. There's right. a narcissism in the culture, and I talked mm-hmm. to Dr. Drew Pinsky, uh, who did Loveline during that period, mm-hmm. and uh, and he talked at length about how similar we appeared to be in the '90s to the Aztecs, oh. who were really they treated the young very poorly. They they were all self. Absorbed. There was a lot of sa- human sacrifice. We're using the interfect, yeah, no. the internet to sacrifice people. See, yeah. the re- we feel bad about that. So mm-hmm. we have these resurrection stories, and it becomes this sort of sense of entertainment. And the other thing I would say is that we have this. Um, we're an audience. Mm-hmm. We're watching television, the internet, the saga. The spectacle, Guy Debord talked about the society of the society mm-hmm. of the spectacle and when he's writing in the seventies. But this is what it what we're doing is we're living to be entertained. And I think that's one of the reasons that unfortunately that Donald Trump won was not just that he yes, he was appealing to a disaffected group who voted for him. Uh, forget about Comey, forget about the Russians, whatever reasons, forget about the bad campaign that Hillary ran. But he he was appealing to a certain group, but he also was 
appealing to a nation of couch potatoes. Mm-hmm. People who oh, wanted to be entertained. Yeah. And this was, if you look at... Zev- I didn't realize reality television started in the 90s. And 92, News, yeah. And then it became this thing that he became part of. World Wrestling Federation was the 90s. And he used to, he used to have some of those, yeah. those fights at the Atlantic City Casino that he ran. And he was part of it. And, and this is really like... What what really what was happening was this is this sort of crazy thing where you know the fights are going on and it's fixed. So I want to end up. How yeah. does it change then? Obviously, we're the resonance of the '90s is still with us in lots of ways, and and you're yeah, seeing the, f- the fruits of it. What what changes? And then last the very last question I want you to answer: What is the 2090s going to be? Um, first, first answer the first one. What's what, what has where changed? Does it go? What, what, what has happens? changed? I think there. I think. People are left to look at themselves. They don't trust their government. Mm-hmm. They didn't trust their government under the reason. One of the reasons Trump won is they didn't want to have, have yet another establishment. We had Bush right. followed by Clinton, followed by Bush, followed by right. Obama, Clinton. Right. They wanted something different. Mm-hmm. Now that that has been breached mm-hmm. and that social contract is invalid by this, invalidated by this liar in chief. Mm-hmm. They're, they realize what matters is their own selves, their own communities, their own morality, because people, I think, are generally, I'm, I'm a glass half full person, are generally good. And they're recognizing that their government, by and large, has been generally bad to them. Not the courts so much, but certainly the, the, the legislative and executive branches lately. And so they, they're, I think you will see an, an activism, you're going to see people who are running for office who've never done that, people who are engaged in their community. So I do see this in people changing. I sense that. Um, what's going to happen in 20... Another naughty period? Another, another 90s? I think, you know, I ha- unfortunately, I I kept saying, talking about the downsides of the changes in the Internet to my friend David Kirkpatrick, who mm-hmm. I, I know you know. And David said, David... So he said to me, "You can't. It, they can't all be wrong. When billions of people choose to communicate electronically with one another, it's the, the change is what it means to be human, mm-hmm. and we can't stop this anymore. No, nobody can stop it. And I don't think it, it's a but, question of wrong. But I, yeah, but but I I was saying that I think the downside is very attractive. <laughs> but the down, but you, but there's no nourishment in right. sugar, well, and you're gonna and you really need to have." have moral and uh, human nur- human interaction that, that nourishes you or, or or we lose this connect this empathy toward one another and civilization becomes you know senseless so I, I hope that we'll, we're going to be going we're going to be using our own devices to our own personal uh, strength uh, as interdirected people mm-hmm. to, to deal with to deal with uh, the future together. Yeah. Um, and then last question on the sex thing. Where are we with that? Because it's sort of anything goes and yet not. You have Mike Pence and Mother. You know what I mean? Like it's really fascinating. I have. Or will that if, never I knew end? The, if I knew. Will that never end for the United States of America? It what? Will that never end for the United States? I know. States? We're the, this Puritan, like- puritanical society where, where in so many other cultures just get it. We are just flummoxed and every Seems day. Like isn't it? repetition over and over again. Yeah. And, and a forward movement, by the way. It's always more and more looser and more. Yes, that's right. Which is really interesting. I mean, as much as they, they, just, they just come back every time. I think that's one thing we did learn in the 90s, mm-hmm. that human desire is as important as reason in, in determining people's uh, behavior patterns. Right. And that... Sexuality is, in, is is front and center in in what in in our behaviors, which we didn't accept really. I think part of that was AIDS in the mm-hmm. in the eighties, where you had to talk about what the consequences of sexuality were. You had to talk mm-hmm. about it in your church, you had to talk about it in mm-hmm. your classrooms, you had to talk about it at the dinner table, and this was really a big change in the eighties that led into the nineties. Yeah. All right, David, this is really interesting. Everyone should read the book. It's a, Now I feel terrible about the, eight, the 90s, I really do, although my career really started in the 90s with the internet. Yay! Is, <laughs> um, I do remember seeing the internet and thinking everything's going to change. Now, yeah, which was it really is. Anyway, the new book is called The Naughty 90s, The Triumph of the American Libido. It's written by David Friend, who's an editor of creative development at Vanity Fair. Uh, you should all read it about the culture wars of the 1990s and how they're pertinent to today. Thank you very much, Thank David. Thank you so much, Kara. David, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. 
If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes. You can find more than 175 past interviews in whatever app you use to listen to this or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts. On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you'll hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. Hey, this is Peter Kafka, the host of Recode Media. You have been listening to this podcast, which means that you like listening to people talk about media and technology, which is very good news because we've got an entire conference all about just that topic. It's Code Media. It's coming up very soon. You should go. It's February 12th and 13th in Huntington Beach, California. It is a very, very nice place to be in February. Specifically, it's the Pasea Hotel and Spa there in Huntington Beach. Enough about the place. I want to tell you about what we're going to do there. We're going to talk to the smartest, most interesting people in media and technology. We, as Kara Swisher and I, we're going to talk to people like Oath CEO Tim Armstrong, Susan Wojcicki, she's the CEO of YouTube, Kerry Trainer, he's the CEO of SoundCloud. I don't think he's spoken publicly anywhere yet. That's a good one. And HuffPost Editor-in-Chief Lydia Paul Green. If you want to learn more, you can go to recode.net, click on Events easy to find. Um, You can figure it out because you are smart because you listen to this podcast. That's Code Media Conference, February 12th and 13th in Huntington Beach, California. I will see you there.